helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome, everybody, to the Disciple First Podcast. This is a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers. I'm Craig Etheridge. I'm your host. And I'm here with Jean Klugart, who is uh, on the board of Denton Bible Church Women's Ministry. Jean graduated from James Madison University in Virginia and went to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes as an area director for 13 years. She moved to Denton in 1997 to attend Dallas Theological Seminary and to work with College Life at Denton Bible Church. She is now on the board of that uh, women's ministry and is a featured speaker at the Flashpoint Conference. And uh, Jean, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, Jean, you and I uh, have been in several different settings talking about disciple making, and I just absolutely love your heart and especially how you have a vision and passion for discipling women. What, what caused you to be passionate about making disciples with women? Well, uh, I would say it was because I didn't have a woman who would, uh, who did that for me. I was discipled by men and I'm ever so grateful for every man that poured into me, but I was always looking for a woman who could do that with me. And it wasn't until I got here to, uh, to uh, Denton Bible Church, other than my mother, I would have to give mm-hmm. her a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. But other than my mother, I didn't have um, many women pouring into me. Well, we are so glad for your investment and the good work that you're doing at Denton Bible and also at the Flashpoint Conference. Uh, we, I want to talk to you today about crisis and uh, um, and how we handle crisis in disciple making. Um, in our disciple-making ministry. You know, you, you deal with people and women as you disciple women, and they're going through crisis, right? And this happens all the time. Uh, yeah. How do you see, how do you handle that? How do you, how do you counsel people through crisis, and how should we see crisis as we invest in people? You know, about 10 years ago, I would have had a very different answer. But the, God, but the Lord has been gracious to take me through some crises with women and and in going and talking with counselors and just asking, what are we doing wrong? Their answer shocked me. And they said, well, if you're doing uh, things right, you'll have crises. Mm. And so um, I don't think you can have ministry apart from crisis because becoming a Christian in itself is a crisis. It's a death to self and it's a resurrection um, into a new life. Even just the birthing process in human life that's a crisis where you're leaving this home that you've grown used to for nine months and coming out into a whole new scenario and having to learn a whole different perspective. And so I think crisis is an integral part of learning a new economy and becoming a Christian and growing in Christ is a whole new economy. I've got a funny story that a friend of mine recently shared that I think really um, embodies that. A friend of mine was from India, and he came here to go to DTS. And so as an international student, in fact, he was a Sikh. He's considered to be the first Sikh to ever go to seminary. Wow. So um, they would bring him in front of lots of groups to share his testimony. And so after one of those times, he said this nice-looking gentleman came up and introduced himself as Tom and shook his hand and asked him if he'd come share his testimony with his boys sometime. 
And so Suquant said, I'd be happy to. And so one day after class, Dr. Howard Hendricks asked Suquan if he wanted to go out to Tom's place with him um, to share his story with his boys. And so he did, and he heard a few other details, but he didn't really understand them. So um, he drove out there, and and uh, they got out of the car, and all these men that he described as looking like giants mm -hmm. started coming after them. And uh, so Suquant went in and shared his story with them, and then these giants started offering him gifts. And the first thing they offered him was a bulb that he hadn't seen one like it before. He said it looked kind of like a deflated or a deformed basketball. And he figured that's why they were giving it to him because mm. it was de deformed. And he said, no, no, I don't need that. And then they brought him a jacket and it was this blue and silver jacket. And he said, no, at DTS, we have a dress code and I could never wear that. No, thank you. And um, so they kept doing these things. And so, Later, he got back into the dorm and he was describing his day to the other guys in the dorm. And lo and behold, he had been invited, been invited out to the Cowboys stadium. And it was the Cowboys he was sharing this with. Mm -mm. And they'd offered him a Cowboys football and a Cowboys jacket. But because he had no, he couldn't fathom the value of that from the economy that he came from. He rejected it all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a really good picture of our view of crisis that we don't recognize what a tool it is in the master's hand. And so we're often rejecting it and trying to stay away from it rather than recognizing it is one of the, the preeminent tools the Lord uses in our life. Wow. So what you're saying is that crisis is a good thing? Crisis is an essential thing. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It's the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Mm. And I think through scripture, I think how God has used it throughout scripture to get our attention. I think of the plagues in Egypt and the way he described the plagues as being for the benefit of Israel, knowing that he was the Lord, their God of Egypt, knowing that he was the Lord, their God. And for the whole world to know that he was the Lord, their God. And um, I think of just the providential ways that God has appointed crisis uh, for our benefit. And I think the first benefit that it brings to our life is that we would get to know him, not just about him, but we would get to know him. And he starts this in the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, where he makes it really clear that his timing is perfect. Uh, he made oxygen before he made humans. He made water before he made fish. And just all those details that were given throughout the creation account should lead us to conclude what he concluded, that everything that he did was good or very good. And the only thing that he deemed wasn't good was something that he took care of very quickly. And then we go to Exodus, and we see that his not only is his timing perfect, but we see his guidance is perfect. But we see it in the midst of a crisis. We see it um, when he leads them out of Egypt, and he, lo and behold, leads them right to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming after them. And I can feel for them. <laughs> I mean, they had to have been panicking because that was a crisis. But it was only through that crisis that they got to watch him split the Red Sea, dry it out, carry them across. And then as the Egyptian army tried to do that, watch the Red Sea envelop their enemies. 
And so what would they have forfeited in their knowledge of him if he hadn't put them in that crisis situation? Likewise, we get to the book of Numbers, and you see that he's sovereign over the wilderness. And the wilderness, some have described, is the space or the distance between when the promises are given and when they're fully experienced. And so for Israel, that was that time between when they left Egypt and when they got into the promised land. But that's a time that we can all relate to because we all live in the middle of the story between when he saved us and when he's going to take us home and fulfill the fullness of all that he's promised to us. And so when we live in the middle of a story, we can get discouraged. But that middle of the story teaches us things about him that we would never know otherwise. You know, we would never know what it means that he's the Prince of Peace if we didn't have to experience turmoil. And we would never know the value of him being Jehovah Jireh, our provider, if we never experienced needs. And great physician would just be another nice title until we came to know that we were sick, both in our soul and our body. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, you know, I can remember um, amazing grace meant nothing to me until I got downwind of myself and learned what a sinner I was and that I needed a savior. I couldn't fix myself. And um, I think one of the most uh, pressing truths of scripture is that knowing him is worth whatever it costs. And I've always been enthralled with the passage in Philippians 3, where it talks about that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. And that, that one little phrase of that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. Craig, I don't fully understand what that phrase means, but it is, um, it is a comfort to my soul that in the midst of crisis, he invites me to know him and have a fellowship with him that I can't have in any other way. Hmm. And I, um, I, the best way I can describe that is when my parents died, when each of my parents died for that matter, and how people would come up and try to comfort me and they would have lovely words, but as Chuck Swindoll once said, words are a stupid thing at epic moments. <laughs> and I found that to be true. But if they were somebody who had been through a loss, they didn't have to say anything. There was just a fellowship. It was almost like we were in a club together, or as um, our military friends described, that band of brothers. And so when I think of the fellowship that I had with people who had been through just the, the suffering of a loss, how much greater is this fellowship that he invites us to in the fellowship of his suffering? Mm -hmm. So crisis, think, crisis is used by God to draw us to know him in, in ways that we would never know him before if we'd never experienced it. No, and we wouldn't sign up for it. Uh, right. Even if he invited us for that. Mm -hmm. And so he is gracious to order that for us. And, and I think that's a pretty important point. We don't have to go out and look for crisis. He's got it appointed for us. And he is um, faithful to tailor it to us. Uh, but 
Um, but there are things that we need to know about him that we won't learn otherwise. Likewise, there are things that we need to know about ourselves that we won't know apart from crisis. First and foremost, as a disciple maker, I need to realize I am not the Savior. It sounds obvious, but it is so easy to let people become dependent on me and to think I have to provide these things. And so one of the guys that poured into me did something that I think is just brilliant. Steve Draper is on the navigator staff, so when he would take guys under his wing, he would always pick one thing that he knew needed to be changed in their life that he intentionally did not teach them or confront them on. Instead, he only prayed for them on that thing and then recorded his prayers for them in a journal. And then as he saw the Lord change them, he would give them that journal. And that journal proved as a stone of remembrance uh, for, for both parties, for the disciple maker and the one who was being discipled, that it was the Lord who had transformed their heart. It wasn't that disciple maker. Wow, that is, that is powerful to just think about, hey, I'm not going to talk to you about this. I'm just going to talk to the Lord about this. And then seeing God answer that prayer and work in their hearts, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And I think crisis also opens up ministries to us that we would never have recognized or signed up for. I think of my friends, uh, Jack and Sharon Statlander. Sharon is gone to be with the Lord, but they both came down with cancer at the same time. Jack had stage three or four lung cancer. They'd given him just months to live and put him on an experimental drug, and he's alive today years later. Mm. Shortly after that, Sharon got uh, breast cancer, a very aggressive form of it. But they had had the example of Jack's mother, who when she got breast or she got cancer, I'm not sure what kind it was, she was praising the Lord because she had always asked him to count her worthy to have a ministry. And so when she got cancer, she, she believed that was an answer to that prayer. Because if she went in to get her treatments, she could come alongside of other people who were suffering and desperate. And she had the truth of the hope that's found in Christ alone. And so she embraced that crisis as an answer to prayer and as a ministry. So when Jack and Sharon got cancer, they had seen her example and they did likewise. And I have never heard anyone give a testimony that moved my heart like theirs did. Hmm. Um, I think of Don Smith, a man back in Virginia, who was a sweet little old music teacher. And when his wife died of cancer, he kept going back to the cancer treatment center where they gave the chemo because he said, I wanted to be the first one in the waiting room because I never wanted anyone to have to wait there alone. And so he was a guy who didn't waste his crisis. And in fact, John Piper has an article called Don't Waste Your Cancer that was instrumental for Jack and Sharon. I think of another friend who was abused as a child, um, sexually abused, and now works in a human trafficking ministry. And so there are crises that we go through that because we've walked in them, he has given us a comfort and um, a courage and a, and a just an understanding that opens doors for us to minister in the lives of others that we wouldn't have apart from that. And then um, 
just the refiner's fire, how it purifies us. And we've all heard the story about uh, those who are working with metals when they want to purify it. They turn up the heat real high. And then the impurities will rise to the top and they just scrape off the dross or the impurities. And the way that they know that they're finished is when that master craftsman can look in and see their reflection. And I think that's another thing that God does through crisis. He's using it to just scrape off the dross until we look more like him. But ultimately, he's using it to drive us to him, not to formulas. Um, and, and we all think we want a formula. Uh, we've been enamored with them ever since the, the Garden of Eden, where we think that we prefer having knowledge and wisdom that we can handle ourselves over walking in dependence on him. And um, he is gracious not to let that succeed. So I think that's critical for us as disciple makers that like Moses, we have to learn to go to him for direction. And, um, and like the disciples in the New Testament, when they were faced with the crisis of feeding a multitude with only a few fish and loaves, the answer was that they had to keep going back to him. Mm-hmm. They had to depend on him. You know, Gene, that this is not uh, a, there's not a curriculum that you can use uh, necessarily that you walk people through crisis. It's like you said, crisis kind of comes on us. And the longer we invest in people, the we're going to, the crisis is going to hit. And so I guess it's in the context of investment in the context of that relationship that when the crises do come, that we yeah. can show them the biblical model and to embrace that crisis as something that's going to drive them to Jesus and and shape them and make them more and more like Christ and give them a ministry to those that are hurting. Yeah, and we also have to model that because we're still mm-hmm. disciples and we're still sheep, even though we're shepherding. And so we've got to model that total dependence um, and we've got to model that humility that says, I don't know everything, but I will go to him with you. Mm-hmm. And I would even argue that one of the most counterintuitive things that we have to do is not be available 24-7, at least to those who have been walking with the Lord for a while. A newborn believer, yeah, you're probably going to make yourself available around the clock. But for those who are starting to get some legs to walk with, you've got to leave them to wrestle with the Lord some. Instead of always being there to catch them and always being there to to uh, shield them from crisis, you've got to let them go through crisis with the Lord. And then you can do a debrief on the backside. But uh, I think it's we have to wean them off of us and get them dependent on the Lord and on the Word. Well, that's just like parenting, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you know you have to. You can't always protect your kids from crisis. They, they and when they're younger, you're obviously protecting. But as they get older, you know they have to learn to wrestle with things and depend on the Lord. So their eyes are on Him and their and their dependence is on Him and not on you. And um, yeah, and I think one of the other things that in crisis that we have to learn is um, as we're always pointing them towards Him and not towards us that. Some people are going to reject us because of that, that this is, we're not telling them what they want to hear. We're not just tickling itching ears. 
Mm-hmm. And some are going to get angry and leave over that. But the comfort of, of the situation is they left Jesus over that when he didn't provide what what mm-hmm. they wanted from him. The the disciples of his day, and I'm not talking about the 12, but the masses, um, uh, if he didn't give them what they wanted from him, he left them too, or they left him too. Well, you've been listening to Crisis in Disciple-Making, and uh, Gene Klugart has been here walking us through this. And, and i tell you, uh, one thing that I've really taken away from this podcast is to embrace crisis, that crisis will come into our life, but God wants to use it in a way that draws us closer to Him, that makes us more like Him, that gives us a ministry uh, to those that are hurting, and that that um, encourages other people as we model going through our own crisis and as we walk with people as they go through their crisis. And you may be a pastor leader and you're in crisis right now. I hope that these words encourage you to embrace that and to trust God and press deeper into him as you walk through it and as you help other people to walk through their own crises. Gene, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. My pleasure. And if you'd like to know more about how to make disciples and make disciples, go to the Flashpoint Conference. We had a fantastic Flashpoint Conference in Dallas. We have two more coming up in Houston and Atlanta this April. You can go to flashpointconference.com, flashpointconference.com to find out who are the speakers in those venues and register online. I hope to see you then. Until then, go make disciples. For more information on events and content, visit DiscipleFirst.com.